You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. So today we're going to continue on in the series called Piercing the Darkness. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word? And we're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we study the scripture that you help us today to not only learn, but also to accept and then begin to practice what your word tells us. There are things that we can't know unless God, you tell us. And so I pray that as we study the word, we see what it is that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you, you can be seated. I'm gonna tell you, this is gonna stretch you a little bit, okay? But what I want you to see through this message is what I think is some of the things that we have ignored that the Bible talks about. Now, we've read the scripture, and certainly I've preached on this before, but we're going to take it from a different perspective, and we're going to stay within the context of what, it was, what, what is being said here, because it's the context that actually sets it up. So, the Bible has a lot to say about the body and the mind. Did you notice that it says two things there that are mentioned? Your body, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, and then it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I've been guilty of this. A lot of times you preach on, you mention that, you touch it, and then you just move on, okay? But nobody ever talks about how the spiritual declarations, how the spiritual activity of God in those arenas touches our reality because this is the unique thing about Christianity. The supernatural activity of God touches the reality of my life. Does that make sense? It's the spiritual touching the physical. And how many know the physical is going to respond? Okay, if it's supernatural, notice the word supernatural, the natural is going to give way. So even in education, when we're learning, we sometimes go, yeah, I wonder how that translates into the world that I have to function in today. Well, Paul was the same way, he had the same issues and challenges. But I want you to see that even Jesus brought this up. He says in Math or Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that word strength could also refer to the body because we know it's the body, it's, strength comes from the body. Now, most of the time we get the first two, easy, with all your heart, with all your soul. After all, we, we, we say that Jesus saves my soul and Jesus comes into my heart. But what about the mind and the body? Where does this play into everything that's going on in my life? And so we have to understand the Christian view of the body and mind was radically different than the Roman view back in the day when Paul was preaching. 
when Jesus was preaching. There were, the concepts of Christianity were radically different than the Roman world. And so part of the process of discipleship was helping people to see how they should view their body and how they should view their mind as opposed to what Rome was saying. Well, what was Rome saying? Rome values believed that the body was worthless and would die, so what was done with it did not matter. So basically, this was a license to do whatever you wanted to do. I mean, after all, it's just the body. It's corrupt. So in their world, they had separated the activity of the body from the spirit and the soul because they said the spirit and the soul was good. How many can already see you got some American ideology playing there? Stop judging me. God knows my heart. Come on, tell me you know that. You know, you, you can't judge me by just what you see. We have people who have separated their body from their spirituality. Even good Christians will say, well, hey, in the end, it really doesn't matter what I do with this body because in the end, thank God, I get a new glorified body. So I'm gonna trade this thing in anyway. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. That's true, but that's not a license to mess this thing up that God's given us. Oh, yeah. Now, some of you are panicked right now about where I'm going to be going with the message based on the body. You're like, there's some categories, Pastor, you better stay out of. Don't worry, okay? I believe that the Bible speaks for itself, okay? So we want to look at this from, because it says to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Notice in the Old Testament, it was always a dead sacrifice, here it says we're living. So that means that I, there's a process here that I have to understand as it relates to my mind and my body. So what we're gonna do, ironically, more followers of Christ are more Roman in their theology than they are biblical. I have noticed that at this point, it is dead silent in the building right now. And that usually is telling me, hopefully that means some aha moments are going on or will be going on, okay? Actually, a lot of Christians are Roman in their theology in this, in this arena. It doesn't matter what I do with this body. I can do whatever I wanna do. Um, and you know, they go, and besides, God knows my heart. So you can't always judge me by what you See, oh, that's interesting, because my Bible says faith without works is, so in fact, we'll be looking at what the, so I'm, I'm really going to stick with the scripture, because I know this is a hot topic, and I could get myself in trouble. So here's how this is going to go. Don't tell me you disagree with me, because all I'm going to do is just read the scripture to you. You don't disagree with me, you disagree with the scripture. We're going to look at the scripture, and I mean we're going to read a lot of scripture because it shows us the theology of the Bible and the theology of the mind. So it tells me that I'm to present myself as a living sacrifice. So let's look at the biblical view of the body, okay? We talk a lot about the heart and the soul, and I get that, and I believe those things, but... It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, of you of God's mercy. God's mercy is saving your soul. 
It says, because of that, I should offer bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. So let's look at this. The word urge there comes from the Greek word, which means one's calling. So he's saying God is actually has a calling on your body. Ooh, I knew he was calling my soul. He's calling my body. Then he uses this word offer, which is a technical term for a priest placing an offering on the altar. So we have here that as a priestly duty, I'm to give God my body. Hmm. Then it goes on, and then he says this. In, oh, I'm sorry, let me back it up. There was one more. I want to. It says that it's your true and proper worship. How many have ever heard me say that your work is worship? So is your body. Whew. Wow. So how I take care of this thing, what I do with this, matters to God. He actually says that this is part of my worship is taking care of myself. Hmm. Can, by the way, can you start to see already why a lot of preachers, including myself, don't like to go into great detail on this subject right now? Because it sort of starts getting real personal. Okay, maybe I'm the only one then. So let's look at the expanse of the theology of all the different places the Bible says about the body. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, which was a little earlier than Romans 12, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So he's saying that if my body is ruled by sin... I can get to a place where my body's not ruled. Now, am I influenced? Yes. But it tells me I have the ability through Christ to not be ruled by it. Can you already see we're already pushing up against the PC culture right now? And we'll push back even more, not because Pastor Greg said it, but because that's what the scripture says. Therefore, in chapter 6, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So there is something about a relationship with Christ that I can prevent sin from reigning, noticing rule, have mastery, have control. Listen, we will always combat sin, but it doesn't mean I have to let it be my master. Has everybody got that? We're gonna have the battle. That's a given. The question is, have I surrendered and let it rule me? And the Bible is telling me, no, you don't have to let that happen. You see, again, we're starting to push back on what some of our culture is teaching right now. But through Christ, listen, you will have a fight. But just because there's a spiritual conflict inside of you doesn't mean you get to go, well, that's just too hard. Well, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to put a little more effort into it than other people. Okay, 
All right, then you go on into Romans chapter eight, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Through the spirit, I can put the misdeeds of the body to death. They might be presented to me, but I don't have to give in to them. Do you see that? He's talking about all this conflict that happens in the physical, in the mortal body. Just because there's a sinful impulse doesn't mean I have to give in to it. Oh, please, come on, amen that, would you? Okay, then and now. So let's go beyond what are some other things that the Bible says. So I've stayed in Romans, right? Okay, because, by the way, if you want a picture of the Roman perspective of the body, all you got to do is read Romans chapter 1. It has a lot of horrific things, description. I preached on it initially when we started the book of Romans, okay? So we see, why would the Romans do that? Because they thought that this was something that if you used your body for, it really doesn't matter. It's already corrupt. What's, what was more important is I can, miss, I can abuse my body. I can do things immorally, but it's really my heart and my soul and my spirit that matter. And Paul's pushing back saying, no, no, no. God is interested in your body just as much as he is everything else. Do you see why I'm saying there's a lot of people today who are more Roman in their theology than Christian? Because you have a lot of churches shifting theology saying God doesn't really care what you do with your body. And I'm saying, boy, you haven't read your Bible. You haven't, you, haven't, you haven't compiled the scriptures that talk about the body like I'm doing today. So that's why I'm doing So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, hey, everybody read that sentence with me. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God says, your body matters to me. I did not design it for sexual immorality. And he's built in consequences. Biologically, God has not, he didn't create the physical body to be. There's, a, there's all kinds of damage that happens physically as well. We we're gonna get into this. That can happen even in the mind as well. God says, I didn't design your body to handle that. Hmm. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Come on, everybody read it. Therefore, oh, God says I should honor him with what I'm doing with this physical body. 2 Corinthians 4.11 for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed. Read the last four words. In? Oh, so his life is to be revealed through my mortal body. So suddenly what I'm doing with my mortal body is a testament. Hmm. 
Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And now this, that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. A follower of Christ cannot say, don't judge what you see, know my heart. Oh, no, 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 no. That is Roman theology. That is not biblical. What we see you doing is a reflection of his activity in your life. Amen? I can tell this is really going well today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Wow, whether I'm, whether I'm living in this body or not, it's the same. My goal is to please him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody finish reading it. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done Wow. Yeah, God says, I see your heart, but I also see your body, and we're going to have a chat one day about what you did in the body. You're going to be judged for the deeds that you did. You won't be like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, you can't know everything about me. You got to look at my heart. You gotta look at my soul. I mean, God, you can't judge me for everything I did in the body. I mean, I mean, after all, it's really what my, I mean, and, and he's gonna say, well, it's not my fault you didn't read the instructions. We're gonna have a talk about the deeds done in the body and we're gonna be judged accordingly. Hmm. See how I'm saying? There's this, we kind of ignore this theology that the Bible teaches us as it relates to the body. We just kind of treat this thing as, well, you know, it's gonna get disposed of later. I mean, after all. And God says, no, that is a tool that I've given you to enhance your witness. In fact, he says, I will make that body I gave you the temple of the Holy Spirit. How's your temple? Hmm. But see, you can't talk about this kind of stuff unless you get into the mind because how many know the body is a product of what's going on in the brain? I mean, after all, we even have this thing where if the brain dies, how many know the body ceases to function? So it's kind of the two are intertwined. I can't address what's going on in my body if I don't address what's going on in my mind. So it's no, I don't think it's any, uh, it's no strange thing that in the scripture, Paul had the two together. He said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's happening in the body can't change unless there's been a change in the brain. Everybody with me? All right. So, Last thing on the body. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Wow. God just doesn't want me to protect my heart and soul. He says, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't contaminate your body. Yeah, I can tell this is really going good today. So, we talked about the mind. So here's the biblical view of the mind. I told you we were gonna go super deep today. 
right? So here's what I want to happen today at the end of the service, that your mind just goes, because we're gonna talk about the mind and I'm gonna talk to you about how that happens. How does the supernatural meet the natural? How does this happen? How does God do this? And I think it's interesting that the Christian view back then was radically different than the Roman view. Of course, they didn't have all the science and all the understanding that we have today. And did you know that the more that science studies the brain, the more they realize that what Christianity has been teaching all along is spot on? Imagine that. Science is proving God. He said, well, why don't I read about it? That's another discussion for another day. Okay, so do not be conformed to the pattern of the, but be just of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good and pleasing and perfect will. So he says conform, it means to fashion. So the Bible says I have the ability that God has given me a, a brain that can be fashioned. And he says, be careful not to be fashioned to the pattern of the world. Now, let me just say, if we don't believe that a person has the ability to fashion their brain, nobody should go to school. Right? Why, why bother with education? By merely saying that we send our kids to school by some of you going back and getting job training, you're acknowledging that there's the ability to fashion your brain so that you can do things that you were unable to do before. One of the things that we have to recognize in this world is we are, God has, listen, animals have a brain. But one of the things that separates us is God has given us a highly complex brain. What do I mean by that? We, we can look at things and decipher things. We have the ability to connect more dots and learn and grow than any other part of the, uh, the, of, the, of the animal world that is out there. We are considered highly complex. Our brain is very unique in this world. It's what makes us human. Does everybody understand that? And what we have is some people who are trying to inject that we're no longer highly complex individuals, human beings. That comes from evolution. Welcome to the fallout of teaching evolution over decades. That's why they say, these people can't change, these people this, these, and I'm like, you are committing the most hateful thing in the world. You're taking people's hope away from them. No, God has given us a highly complex brain. It means I can believe something today, but learn about facts today and tomorrow and by the end of the week, I can change my mind. I've not been programmed. I have a will that can say, last week I was wrong, but today I've learned and now I know the truth. That's one of the blessings of of being a highly complex uh, creature that God created. So conform. Then he uses this word, transform, which is where we get our word metamorphosis, which means to change. 
And you know what metamorphosis does? It changes what's on the outside, not just some on the end, but there's an outward change. It's, it's what causes a caterpillar to go into a cocoon that comes out and it's got wings. Now, if you didn't understand the process in second grade where they dissect the whole thing so you see how it happens, you would be going, how can you look at a caterpillar and know there's wings there? That's metamorphosis. God does the same thing with people. You can't even remotely see what they're capable of becoming tomorrow based on what you see today. But that's what God does. A total change, amen? Then he uses the word renewing, which means a complete change. Do you see this is a total pushback against what is happening in our culture right now? It says you have available to you complete change. Not sort of, not adapting. We're talking change. And a lot of things being taught in our culture, well, they can't, yes, they can. I'm not saying that their battle might be a little more intense compared to others. It's the same thing with people who are on drugs. They might have more of a battle than other people because they got addicted. There are people who may have gotten become alcoholics and they have more of a problem. With, but I'm telling you, they can change. But just because the fight is harder doesn't give them a pass. So, what does the Bible say about the mind? Romans 8, 5 through 6, there, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Notice the word, their mind set. So I have the ability to choose what I'm going to think about. Does everybody see that? That says we have a will. I can choose what I'm going to think about. Then you go into 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. So it tells me there's a spiritual battle going on between my ears. And it says this, I can actually be blinded in my thinking and it says it's a spiritual battle that is causing it. Then you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Ooh, where are they? Let's get after them, right? We demolish, what does it say? Arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The place where these strongholds exist are between my ears. They're things that I believe that God says, not true. You're believing a lie. Demolishing a stronghold is reading what the Bible says and realizing that I don't believe that, I believe something else. And demolishing strongholds means I'm gonna to begin to wrestle with that until I get my brain to come into conformity to what he says. I would like to say that the first time you, come on, I know you, you're just like any other human being. There are some things you read for the first time in the Bible and you go, that's it, good to go, here we are. And there's other things you go, oh, I need to check that out. Can I get a witness? Come on, I wanna see. 
I mean, you'd love to say the first time you read it, you're all in and you're going, ah, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Let me see what the rest of the Bible has to say on the matter. And so we do a word search and we do some, and then we start checking out, you know, some Christian books and we might send an email to pastor. And you're just, you're, and what are you, you're in the, listen, you're in the process of demolishing a stronghold because you've learned something, you go, I've got dissonance going on in my head because what I read is not what I believe and it's not what I do. And I can't dismiss it because I read it. And so the dismantling and the, and the demolition begins. And some things in your brain just take time. Amen? Then it says in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. God can change the attitude in my mind. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Hmm. So it's not just What's going on inside my head, it's also the attitude. Then you go on to Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Notice he says again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I have a will to choose on what I'm going to think about. It doesn't say that I won't have a conflict doing it. In fact, Ephesians chapter six expands on that a little bit, right? Talks about spiritual warfare, but the point being is one of the unique things that God has given us is the ability to set our minds. That doesn't mean it's gonna be, not gonna be contested. That doesn't mean that sinful impulses will not be challenging it. It doesn't mean that I'm not gonna have a bad, it just says, okay, but in the end, I choose. I can't get away from that. In the end, my choice, my responsibility. Everybody said amen. amen. So, let me take you to this. This in conclusion, what does it mean? Absolutely nothing. It's just the word I put up there to give you hope that we're wrapping this up. <laughs> Actually, I got a big, big segment coming here. Seriously. How does this biblical transformation occur in light of what science has learned about the brain? Is it possible what the Bible teaches do we know that that can happen? Now, I expect you to go, well, yeah, amen, yeah. I'm saying, okay, but I'm just saying, but what does it look like when the supernatural touches the natural? What happens? What's going on up here? How does this work? One of the things that I do, um, some of you are aware, I, um, I do some coaching of people, okay, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And one of the things that we have to do to keep our certification is we do have to understand brain science because it helps us to be able to explain uh, how a person needs to change. We need to help them to understand how they need to. Okay, you can't tell people. Have you ever noticed you get into telling, it's like a wall goes up. 
So you gotta understand how people think so that you know how to put things in front of them so that they go, ah, I need to make, yeah, you need, not, I'm not telling you you need to make the choice. You need to know that you need to make the choice. That's what will sustain you. So one of the resources I'm gonna give you is called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, Lisa Feldman Barrett. She is not a follower of Christ by any sense. If you read this book, you will see that she starts with how God used, or uh, how evolution developed our brain. She's not a follower of Christ. But what's so ironic is her conclusions are all biblical. <laughs> but she stands by that evolution got us there, not God. Now, why, why am I quoting her? Some of you will recognize her. She is among the top 1% most cited scientists in the world for her revolutionary research in psychology and neuroscience. In other words, the experts quote her. She's in the top 1%. It's a fascinating read. Again, I'm gonna tell you, you're not gonna find any mention of God, but as you're reading it, you're gonna go, she's validating what the Bible tells us can happen in our brain. What, this is crazy. How is she not a follower of Christ? Hopefully one day I can say, how do you know what you know and not come to the conclusion there's a God here? But she leans into the evolution side. But anyway, so here's the thing. I could give you all her medical terms, but here's, in about two minutes, I'd lose you all. I could talk about the dendrites and the axons and, you know, the synapses and all those kinds of things. And in two minutes, you would be going, I would have this glazed look over your eyes. And then you would walk out and goes, I'm, I'm sure pastor knew what he was talking about, but I didn't. So I'm going to give you a metaphor. Does everybody want to, a metaphor is this, it's an illustration. This is, the metaphor is not saying that this is actually what is going on. A metaphor is describing what is going on. Does everybody got that? So the best way I can describe this for you about how God's activity works in your brain, okay, and how change occurs really on any dimension, on any level when there's change in your life up here. So let's use, I'm going to use something that is very familiar to all of us, and it's called the airport network system. How many, how many when I say airports, you can think of more than one airport. And you understand how that works. Now here's what you need to understand. Let's use those airports as neurons in your brain. By the way, so the next time you get on an airplane, I want you up there at 30,000 feet thinking, this is awesome. I'm having a meditative moment about what this, brain's, or what this plane symbolizes in my brain right now. And the airport that I just left and the airport I'm going to, I get it. I'm trying to give you something that will constantly be a reminder, okay? No airport has a direct flight to every airport in the world. Everybody got that? Now, we do have what we call major hubs. In other words, you might take a flight from one airport to a major hub because it has more direct flights than others. So a small airport can have a disruption, but as long as the major airports stay online, everything is good, right? But it's when one of the major airports has a disruption, it has a way of causing a catastrophic ripple effect through so many other airports. Your brain is like, those neurons are like that. You have primary neurons in your brain, which is where you go most typically. It has more flights than the other airports in your head. So you can have a minor disruption at a smaller one, it's not a big deal. 
But every once in a while, you have something that really messes with your mind and you can't dismiss it. The Bible calls it conviction. God's activity gets into the major hub and we have this disruption because we now have learned something that won't allow my thinking to take flight because I've learned something. And now I have to deal with it. I could ignore it, it might be to my peril. And so God's activity, his information comes in. And here's the beauty of this. See, this is where the modern world is not letting science help it out. We constantly have cells in our brain, neurons dying and neurons being birthed. And when it says that we get exposed to God's word, a lot of times some of the hubs that we have in our head aren't spiritual. They've been learned wrong. And here's the beauty. God can create a whole nother hub in your brain. Oh, please tell me that's awesome. That's awesome. And through time, this is key, through time and reinforcement, I can turn that little airport that God got started into being one of my major hubs. It takes time. That's why we send our kids to school. That's why they take math every year. That's why they take English every year. Why? Because we're trying to turn those little neurological centers into major hubs. That's why David said, on your law, I meditate day and night. He's growing that hub. Why? Because when that hub gets big enough, it has more influence and more control over the other things in my head. Now, for some people, it comes easier. But for some people, it's more of a difficult thing. And so it's, see, that's when I say discipleship. Does everybody understand that? Discipleship is what grows those hubs in my head. I can't get it all in one day. I can't get it all in one week. I can't get it all in one month. I can't even get it all in one year. Any more than your kid can get its whole education in one year. I have to commit to a process. God, shut the other airport down and grow the one you're building in me. Cancel flights over there. And move them over here because I don't live at that airport in my brain anymore. I live at this airport. That's why being in his word, being consistent. See, we, we know how to grow the body, but most people don't know how to grow their brain. And it's not a one. And yes, it's important to have key experiences, but those experiences are doorways to discipleship. Everybody got me? I'm hoping this morning a new airport just got started in your brain. I'm hoping this morning maybe you have that airport and you just go, man, I need to start building that thing. I, I need to turn that into a major hub that connects with all my neurons that has direct flights to every part of my brain. I don't want it to just be an option that I can go to. I want that to be the major airport of my life. 
See, that's what ahas do. When we, everybody understand when I say you have an aha moment? It means something just misfired and went through another direction and it connected a dot that you didn't have before and you're going, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can tell you there's science that can show just what happened. You just got another pathway that you've not been taking and it connected to a new airport in your brain. Is everybody getting this this morning? I know that I'm, I'm trying. And there's actually a scripture that says this. Jesus was walking and he was talking with people who did not know that it was him. And then he began to talk more. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Oh, please tell me you see the aha that just happened there. Jesus said, watch this. You keep going to this airport over here. What about coming over here? And they were, oh my goodness. Game changer. Some of you have had aha moments this morning. You are living proof that God works in your head, not just your heart. And that God's supernatural activity has the ability, the supernatural has the ability to touch my natural. And today I can know something that when I walked in this morning, I did not know. But here we are an hour and 15 minutes later and I know it. And I'm radically changed. I know what happened. I know. And now I know how to build on it. Has everybody got me? Now I know when we say commit, yeah. It's time to reroute all the airport traffic in my brain that's been going to the wrong airport. <laughs> but I need time to build a new one that will be guided by his principles. That's discipleship. That's sanctification. That's transformation. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's stand to your feet this morning as we wrap things up. Would you do that? Come on, let's pray. Would you lift your hands and praise him for being a God who wants to take the supernatural and touch your natural. Man, what a, God wants my body. God wants my mind. I knew he wanted my heart and my soul. But God wants it all. Come on, praise him for that this morning. Hallelujah. With heads bowed and no one looking around. There might be those today who have said, buddy, I, I have an aha moment going on right now. And I've committed my heart to Jesus and I fell back and I've committed, I fell back, I've committed, I fell back. But now I have an understanding of what I need to do to maintain that momentum. And for some of you, maybe you've never accepted Christ. Now you understand what's going to happen in your life. And you say, today I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not my intent to do this in a way that embarrasses you or puts you on display, but you say, today I'm gonna to be accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you lift your hand so I can say, and then you can put it right back down. You say, today's the day I'm gonna to be asking Christ into my life. Anywhere? 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? You say, I'm going to be asking Christ in my life. Listen, we're going to say a prayer and the supernatural is going to touch the natural and you're going to know it. Come on, everybody say it together. Dear Jesus, I come to you taking full responsibility for my life. God, it's my sin. And I ask for your mercy, grace, and forgiveness. I ask that you come into my life. Become my Lord and Savior. It's time for me to change. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Can you do that this morning? Come on, thank him. For those of you who accepted Christ, two things, when we turn and greet each other, the first thing you need to do to the first person that speaks to you, when they say, hey, you ready to go? Hey, it's good to, you just say, excuse me, I need to interrupt the conversation. I need to tell you something. They'll say what? You say, I just accepted Jesus today. You need to tell somebody. It's no secret, amen? The second thing is, is you leave outside, right by the doors, there's a bag that says, follow Jesus. Take one of those with you. I'm now gonna ask some of the connection group leaders, the church leadership, would they come? And you know what? Of all the days that if you have a need, what a day to come, because now you know how God's gonna be working in you. I think of James chapter one, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. Oh, now it makes sense, right? Yeah. So when you come forward for prayer, it's not just, hey God, it's all your supernatural activity. Hey, it's, hey God, I need your supernatural activity to touch this natural, to show me what my choice, my decision, what I need to do. So we're gonna sing a song. I want you to come if you want prayer, and then I'm gonna dismiss everybody else. Come on. In the name of the Lord, may he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies rising up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. 
Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. to God.